My message today is entitled, A Desperate Plea. I want to begin in Psalm 133, verse 1. It says, How good and how pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Listen, that is not something that we can force on our own. That's evidence that the Holy Spirit is coming together and bringing us together and holding us together because there's a lot of conflict in life. There's a lot of differences of opinions. There's a lot of thoughts. And without the Holy Spirit, you'd see what's happening in the world right now. There'd be a lot of division. But when we come into a body of Christ and we come together seeking God, then the Holy Spirit brings a unity amongst us and how good and pleasant it is when that happens. It is our honor and our privilege to come together each week as Christian brothers and sisters. Yet we share another bond with others as well. How acquainted are you with our Jewish heritage? Since we share the same history of the Old Testament with our Jewish brothers and sisters, do you really understand the importance of their faith? Do we understand their prayers? The Shema is an affirmation prayer of God's singularity. Its daily recitation is regarded by traditionally observant Jews as a biblical commandment. So we're talking about the Shema. I don't, I'm trying to do my best to pronounce it. So the, sh- the Shema is, is, is a very central verse. Uh, a very, uh, it's, part, it's part of a, a prayer that's recited daily. Um, it's, it's among the best known in the Jewish liturgy. It's recited at the climactic moment of the final prayer. Yom Kippur is, is the holiest day of the year. And it's tra- traditionally as the last words before death is, is that the Shema is, is, is recited. It's usually recited with their, hand, with their hand placed over the eyes. Now, I say all this, and you say, why are we talking about that? Well, it's because it's part of our Old Testament. It's, the first part is taken from the book of Deuteronomy, and we should be all acquainted with this as well. It it's, it's, begins in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Verse 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Let me ask you a question. What does it mean to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength? Is it just a poetic way of describing the depth of our love, or is there something more to it? After all, Jesus reiterates this first part of the Shema, and then adds another dimension to it when he was asked about the commandments. Mark 12:28 says this. Then one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, perceiving that he had answered them well, asked Jesus, which is the first commandment of all? Verse 29, Jesus answered them. The first commandment, the first of all the commandments is, here we go. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Verse 30, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. Now when Jesus shared that, he added another dimension. Did you see it? Why did Jesus add with all your mind? 
You see, because at this point, the disciples as well as the Pharisees were still trying to figure out God with their own logic. Maybe you found yourself in that same place before. Why does God do this? Why does God allow this to happen? Why does God not answer my prayers? What's going on in the world today? They were still trying to figure it out in their own logic. In other words, they were trying to receive him with their minds. We cannot receive Jesus with our minds until we love him with all of our minds first. The Pharisees had lost the key to love, so they could not receive. Love is the key that opens the door. We must love God with all of our minds, with all of our strength, with all of our soul, and with all of our hearts. And so Jesus demonstrates this concept for us. In the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 15, verse 21, we see this event. It says, Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Verse 22, And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. So the first thing this woman did is she cried out, saying, Have mercy on me. Help my daughter. Verse 23, But Jesus answered her not a word. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Just send her away. She cries out after us. She's being a nuisance. She doesn't know what we're doing. Just send her away. You see, what she did first was she loved God with all her mind. She set her mind to focus on him. In other words, she had heard about what he had done for others. I wonder maybe if she could help my daughter. I've heard about this. I want to make that connection, and I'm going to go seek him. So now she devises a plan to go ask for Jesus' help. Now, she understood that she was from another land. So she asked for mercy from Jesus. Because you remember, Jesus was sent to the people of Israel. And she understood that. And so the first thing she asked was not just what she needed. She asked for his mercy. And when she didn't get a response, she asked the other disciples. That's the logical approach. I'm going to keep asking until I get what I want. See, when we, when we make God our sole focus in our minds, we will try anything we can think of to get to him. Some people spend time in the Word or prayer. They go talk to someone else. They may go to church to church. They may try to find whatever we can. And the point of the matter is not that they're doing it wrong. The point of the matter is that we don't give up. And we keep seeking God and keep looking for God to speak to us and give us what we need. Verse 23 again. He answered her and said not a word. Jesus did not answer her. So she continued to cry out until she got others' attention. In fact, she became a nuisance. How many have ever heard before that the squeaky wheel gets the oil? Right? Let me ask you, would you be willing to be the squeaky wheel if that's what it took? Or would you have been too embarrassed to proclaim your love and your devotion and your dependence on God? Because some people will never cry out. Some people will never step foot in a church. Some people will never publicly proclaim that they need Jesus because we're too bound by what other people think. The disciples themselves tried to keep her quiet. They tried to shut her up and send her away. Verse 24, Jesus answered her and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. 
Sounds kind of strong, doesn't it? In fact, if we were only to consider and weigh this statement with our minds and with our own logic, we might come away from this encounter and think rather negatively about Jesus. A lot of people try to interpret the Bible without the Holy Spirit and without in context, and so they come with bad thoughts. After all, this is usually the case when many who seek to criticize and divide instead of seeking to be empowered through the truth. As a high priest, as a Savior and Redeemer, Jesus was sent to make atonement for the sins of all God's people and to obtain eternal redemption and salvation for all of them, whether they were Jews or Gentiles. However, as a prophet, he had something different to do. As a prophet, in the discharge of his own personal ministry, Jesus was sent by the Father only to the Jews. He was sent only to preach the gospel to them and work miracles among them in proof of his Messiahship that he was the Messiah that fulfilled all the prophecies of the Old Testament. But then upon their rejection of him, when they rejected him, when they didn't believe that he was the fulfillment of their prophecies, then his apostles were sent to go to the Gentiles for people that would be open and receive that message. You see, Jesus knew the difference between a goal and a mission. His goal was to go to the cross, to die for our sins, and to rise from the dead to defeat sin, death, hell, and the grave, whereby upon our belief in him and his perfect sacrifice, we receive eternal life with him forever. Praise God. Amen? Amen. That was his main goal. That's why he was sent here. That's why he was sent. However, his mission was different. It had to be more specific and more focused to a group of people. When Jesus walked this earth, he was fully God, and he was also fully man. In other words, as a man, he could no longer be in all places at all times. He had boundaries that helped him accomplish his specific mission. Therefore, he had a goal which he fully accomplished, dying for all of us on the cross, but he also had a specific mission. It's the same with us. The entire body of Christ has the same goal. First, to love God. Second, to accept the sacrifice that Jesus made on our behalf, since we are all sinners, that we may be redeemed and inherit eternal life with him. And third, this is for all of us, to share this good news with others. All of us have the same goal. Now, we may do it in different ways, by different methods, but all of us love God, accept Jesus Christ for our lives, and then share it with others, share the good news. But each local church also has a specific mission. That's why there's different churches. We were not meant to all be the same because God has different needs in this world, and each of us is called. We have the same goal. But it, churches have a different specific mission if they are praying for the, 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 the vision from God. What is this church's mission? Well, God has called this church, first of all, to support missionaries, to support ministries. And there's a lot of good ministries out there, but we pray and we, we believe that God has called us to certain ones. We have some ministries report we, that we support right here locally. 
I mean financially, I mean prayerful, I mean communications and connections. There's, pla- there's places that we su- support around the country, and there's places people that we support around the world. That's one of the missions of this church. Through much prayer and support and discernment and communication and contributions, we support where God calls us to support. Thus, there are times when our focus on our mission is where God has called us. In this scripture event, Jesus' focus was elsewhere. Others were being blessed. And it seemed like this woman's needs were being ignored. He was about his mission, and it seemed like Jesus was not even listening to her. Let me ask you, what is your response when others are being blessed? God bless you. What is your response when others are being blessed and you are struggling? And it seems like God is ignoring you. Do you get upset? Do you succumb to jealousy of others? If we stay in the arena of just loving God with our mind, then when things don't make sense in our minds, and guess what, that happens a lot. But when things don't make sense in our minds, we get stuck. If we're just trying to love God in our our own minds. We can begin in our mind, but that's not enough. We can't simply remain there. We have to love God completely in all other areas as well. This is not a progression like I talked about in First Peter the third week. We have to love God with our minds and our strength and our heart and our soul all at the same time. Matthew fifteen twenty five. She then she came and worshipped him, saying, "Lord, help me." She intensified her efforts by moving from just words to worshiping him. Despite her failed attempt before, she didn't give up. She persisted. Instead of drawing back, she pushed through some things. She pushed through fear. She pushed through rejection. She pushed through shame. And she came near to Jesus. This is an example of loving God with all your strength. You have to push through some things that try to keep you from God. We all have to learn how to push through. We need to learn how to love Him with all our strength. We need to learn how to push through fear and rejection and shame and whatever stands in the way between us and God. Verse 26. But He answered and said, It's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. So when this happened, because of her perception, because she didn't know a lot, she felt insignificant, as though God had much more important things to do than to help her. But still she persisted. She pushed through the feeling of insignificance. How many of you have been there? Why does God even care about me? My requests are so minute compared to what's going on all over the world. That's the enemy putting those thoughts in your head because God wants to know what you're thinking. God wants to know what you need. God wants to know your heart's cry. And so she had that feeling of feeling so insignificant being compared to a little dog. She had to push through the feeling of insignificance. This is, God, this is loving God with all your soul. 
Your soul is your will and your emotions. All of us feel deep feelings at times, and many feel deep feelings of rejection at times. In fact, we can often feel rejection from God if we only try to understand Him in our minds because some things just don't make sense. Would you agree with that? Therefore, it's quite common and all too easy to feel rejected in this life, even from God. Rejection's ultimate goal is to get you to give up. Even Jesus, when he was all man and all God, even Jesus was tempted with this thought in the ultimate way when he was on the cross. Remember this in Matthew 27, verse 46? He was on the cross and it said, In about the ninth hour Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? See, Jesus didn't just die for our sins so that we could be forgiven and inherit eternal life. He didn't just die for our sicknesses so that we would be healed. He also died for our rejection so that we would be accepted. But we have to be willing to push through to receive it. Our sin will always try to make us feel rejected from God. We shouldn't have sinned. You are guilty. God wants nothing to do from you. That's not God speaking. That's the enemy speaking, trying to interpret our actions to us. And so we, are, we have this temptation to feel rejected. But just like Jesus, we have to push through to receive all that God wants for us. Verse 27. And she said, Yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. See, her persistence magnified her faith. It was a desperate plea. Can I just have one little crumb? I'm not asking to, to walk with you and to follow you and to hear all your teachings. If you could just give me one crumb, my daughter is severely demon-possessed. I just want to touch the hem of your garment. I just want to be in your shadow. Can you just put your blessing upon me? Just give me one little crumb. One crumb of your living bread. This is loving God with all of your heart. When desperation mixes with faith, we seek Jesus, not just what he can do for us. We seek him. We seek to be in his presence. That's what we do when we come together in worship, not to just seek to have him answer all the things we're asking for, but the goal of worship is to seek to be in his presence where he accepts us. He defeats our rejection and our sin, and our shame. When we are loving and seeking Him with all of our heart, then we truly find Him. Deuteronomy 4, verse 29 says this, But from there you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find Him if, if you seek Him with all your heart and with all your soul. When we seek the Lord without our whole heart and without our whole soul, we experience Him, but we stop short of securing the blessing. We stop short of acquiring His favor and obtaining peace. How many know that God can give you peace in the middle of a storm? Right? If you're seeking Him, if you're seeking His presence. Now, we can always pray to get out of a situation. That's fine. Sometimes God delivers us and sometimes He doesn't. But if you're seeking His presence, God can give you peace in the middle of a storm in the middle of a trial. 
Many times it's because we're just seeking a particular answer to prayer. And we focus more on the answer than on God. In other words, we put more attention on getting our needs met than on becoming one with God. So is it wrong to ask for specific things? Absolutely not. But if our focus is on our needs instead of on God, then when we get our needs met, we stop seeking. Because we are only there to seek for our needs. But if you're seeking God's and your needs get met, you're still blessed. And if your needs don't get met, you're still blessed because you're seeking God. We've got to be careful not to seek just our answers to our needs. Because then we lose the passion and the urgency to secure our relationship with God. Think about when, you have, when you're asked, someone says to you, do you have any prayer requests? If you have anything that we can pray for, you, you go over in your mind. If you don't have something, you go over in your mind, is there someone else that I can pray for and I can throw that out as a prayer request? If nothing comes to mind, you might just pass and say, I don't, I don't have anything at this time. Or you might simply say nothing instead of saying, you know what? Yes, I have a prayer request. I need more God. I need to truly find Him. I, need to, I want to know and experience His presence in every part of my life. I need to deepen my relationship with Him. That should be our heart's cry of loving God with our heart and our soul. But if we're honest, too often our first reaction to prayer is to just all the things that we want God to do for us and for others. God was never meant to be a Santa Claus figure that just gives you what you want. But unfortunately, and especially in Western culture, that is how he is thought of and sought for and experienced by way too many people. I'm going to ask for what I need, and when I get up, okay, I'm good, I'm good until I need something else. Instead of saying, God, daily, give me my daily bread. I want to know what you have for me. I want to know you. I want to deepen my relationship with you. The sad part is, is because of how people see God and seek God, they never truly find Him. We must seek Him and not just what He can do for us. Also, there are times that we ask God for something and put God in a box because we expect Him to answer it in a certain way. We forget that God knows what we need even before we ask. But we still often expect that He will answer our needs in a certain way. It's only when we stop solely seeking things and just draw near to Him and worship Him and seek the crumbs that we truly receive Him in all His power and glory. So yes, God, I want this, but if I could just have a crumb, could I just spend a moment in Your presence? Can I just know your great love for me? This Canaanite, Canaanite woman understood that. She was just seeking a crumb. In other words, she knew that all she needed was a crumb that was possibly discarded or overlooked by someone who was being blessed, someone who had already had their fill, someone who didn't understand the power of crumbs. She understood the biblical truth of seeking God with her whole heart and soul, and mind, and strength. In fact, in another gospel, it tells the same story in Mark 7:28. It says, And she answered him and said to him, Yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs under the table eat from the children's crumbs. She knew not only the power of faith and desperation, 
but the wisdom of positioning where you place yourself. To be under the master's table is a sign of submission to God. We need to come under his authority. It's only with a humble heart that we can put ourselves under him in a place of submission where we can find the crumbs. I've talked about this recently that we, we don't just talk about Jesus as our Savior. He's our Lord. But Lord means that we come under Him and He's Lord over our life. He's the Master over everything. He's Lord over our finances. He's Lord over my thought life. He's Lord over my relationships. He's Lord over how I act in public and Lord how I act in private. And so when we truly come under Him and, and see Him as our Lord, then we're there when the crumbs appear. Crumbs are God's way of rewarding the humble. When you're going through a difficult time, a difficult trial, and you don't understand, and a lot of it doesn't make sense if you try to figure out in your mind, but you stay positioned under Him, and you continue to trust Him, and you don't complain about how life is unfair to others. You may share it with God. That's okay. But you don't complain to others, and you stay humble, then that's where God drops the crumbs. And just a crumb is enough to change your life. Just a crumb is enough to give you a different perspective maybe that you didn't have. Just a crumb can add to the scales of your faith to, to push over where you can continue to move on in the power of God. Matthew fifteen twenty eight. Matthew fifteen twenty eight. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Great is our faith when we understand the power of crumbs. You know, only twice in the gospel did Jesus tell someone that they had great faith. This was one of them. Both times, the other time was when the Roman centurion came to him and he said, said could you pray for me? My, 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 my son had died. But if you say the word, he will be healed. Remember that story? Both times, this Canaanite woman and this, and this Roman centurion were people who were from outside of the faith. In other words, they weren't so bogged down by all the rules that they had to follow. They just came seeking Jesus. And sometimes we get so bogged down to think what we have to do instead of just all out seeking Jesus, just looking for a crumb. It's amazing how many times we see the power of God working through things that seem so small and insignificant to us. A crumb. A seed. A grain. A drop, a glimpse, a taste, just a taste of being in God's presence, just a seed of faith, just a grain of hope is all we need because if we have it, then God can begin to fan the flame and cause it to grow. All God needs is a point of contact. When we concentrate all of our efforts, all of our heart and soul and mind and strength into that point. When we make contact with Him at that point, we truly find and receive all of God. This is how we come to genuinely know God, our Father. The truth is that God loves us with all of His heart and with all of His soul and with all of His mind and with all of His strength. If we were made in His image and seek to reflect that same love back to Him, why should we be any different? Because you know why? His love never fails. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love. We receive it by grace. We know we don't deserve all of it, God, but we thank you for the gift of grace. And so we receive your love. We receive your forgiveness for our sins and for our failings and our shortcomings. We pray, God, that each and every day we would continue to reopen that gift of love, to not take it for granted, to go back to the cross to see perfect love in action. We thank you for your gift. As we open it each and every day, may we be willing to share your love with others to accomplish the goal that you've called all of us to. We love you, God. We thank you that your love never fails. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.